0: If I look back at Carrie's development, when we started swimming massive amounts uh, and not necessarily pulling a lot of the main sets, her run started to inch up and inch up and inch up.
1: trap from Show 240 Hey, what's up everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Traflon Show, the podcast presented by ScientificTraflon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Scott DeFilippis and Carrie Lester. Scott and Carrie are both professional triathletes and coaches. They are also partners, and Scott coaches Carrie. So uh, this is another interview in uh, the realm of uh, a coach and their athlete or an athlete and their coach on the line. We will discuss a number of training related topics, the overarching training philosophy of uh, Scott and Kerry and the experiences and influences, including, for example, Brett Sutton and Jerry Rodriguez that led to this philosophy. And we also discuss how age groupers should apply these concepts. Before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. And uh, as a personal anecdote, I have become really hooked on Swift. initially through the the COVID-19 lockdown when uh, I was uh, forced to train inside, uh, which I do anyway a lot. But uh, now I was 100% stuck inside for a while and i decided to give swift a try and found that i actually really really enjoyed it you can still follow your structured training plan but i could all, i could do training together with friends in different countries and so on so super cool i just uh, fell in love with it and but through that actually what happened is that now even though i can go and ride outside i still do like the, the vast majority of my training is inside and i'm just sweating so much training indoors uh, i might sweat a lot going outdoors as well in the portuguese sun in the summer but uh, but indoors especially i find that i really need to uh, use precision hydration especially if i have a run later in that day Uh, hopefully pools will open soon and then uh, swimming will be the same thing just to avoid uh, avoid cramping in later workouts and just to make sure that you stay on top of hydration which i find to be of particular importance when you have double workouts on the same day you can get Precision Hydration's electrolyte products and match them to how you sweat by taking a free online sweat test on precisionhydration.com and you can get 15% off your order with the promo code one 15 And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Uh, another personal anecdote here because i have been trying out some new roca products le- recently and uh, i just want to mention that uh, my new favorite Roka products are definitely the maverick x2 the new flagship wetsuit model no surprise there i assumed that would be the case but it's just an absolutely amazing wetsuit uh, in particular i think that the core stability that it gives and how that helps the transfer of propulsion from uh, from the lower body from the core through the stroke is really really amazing but in addition to the maverick x2 the matador sunglasses are really great i use them all the time uh, both for training and outside of training so uh, definitely also highly recommended check out roca on roca.com and get 20% off your order with the discount code that you can get on roca.com forward slash tts now without any further ado here's the interview with scott de and carrie lester today we have two guests on that Treflon show Carrie and Scott uh, welcome how are you guys doing
0: we are well thank you
1: great Thanks for thank- having
0: us thank you doing fine
1: yeah this will be uh, an interesting one an exciting one I've done I think one of these before with uh, both with two uh, interview guests or uh, I have done a few more actually but I have done one in particular that was sort of a uh, an athlete and uh, their coach and i know that carrie you also coach people yourself but in this uh, particular context you will play the role of the athlete and scott will play the role of uh, the coach uh, so why don't you take turns to uh, uh, tell us about your respective backgrounds in triathlon and outside of it
2: okay i'll take the lead <laughs> uh for me, um, I didn't start uh, triathlon until I was in my early 20s, um, I think maybe 23, 24, and uh, before that had really, yeah, no, no experience <laughs> at all in triathlon. I think uh, growing up I ran track uh, 100 metres, 200 metres. I really hadn't run anything over 400 metres until – Um, possibly uh, late, late teens. Um, So yeah, I was always more of a a short uh, distance athlete. Um, I think I dabbled in a little bit of water polo in high school, netball. Um, Yeah, just I, I mean, I played a lot of sport growing up. But it wasn't, yeah, until early 20s that I found uh, triathlon. And it's been my only sport really ever since.
1: <laughs> how, how long did it uh, take you to go from starting out at 23, 24 until you turned professional? Uh,
2: it was, um, I think I raced as an age group athlete for probably, I think, four or five years. Uh, I started, you know, as a very, very beginner. I, my first event was in uh, Queensland, Australia. It was uh, a series that I think they still have. It was the Gatorade Triathlon Series, and it was a um, sprint distance races, uh, half sprint. It was they had I think the first race that I did was there was a 200-meter swim, Uh 10 kilometer ride, I think, and a two kilometer run. So it was like super short. It was over in like 20 minutes. Um, and then they had, uh, that was like the, I think they called it the enticer back then. And then you could do the double that distance. So there, that was my first one. It was over so quickly. I remember I was just like, okay, well next, the, the next time I'm going to do the the longer event, uh, yeah, it was four hundred twenty k, five k run. So, um, yeah, I just I just started with those the that series, and then we have one of the most iconic races in Australia, the Noosa Triathlon. So that was that was quickly, you know, my goal. Uh, and geez, it all really just started from there. I just I just loved the experience of, you know, that series in Queensland and um, I just always wanted to just keep doing new races um, within Australia, I I guess really, Um, and I'm answering this horribly. (laughs) It's just been so long can't even remember those well, races. I, I, it, it feels like it was so long ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really started with Noosa
1: so, and I, I want to. I, I
2: just fell uh, in love with it,
1: Kerry. I want to ask you about uh, whether you could you actually managed to like hit the ground running and uh, be like pretty fast for an age group in those early races, or do you have any sort of humbling stories about uh, slow uh, goings at the start of your career that might encourage some? Uh, some of the listeners that uh, that somebody who is now a professional and has finished top 10 in Kona uh started out as uh just just about anybody and i don't i don't know the answer but i'm curious to hear
2: um yeah i think it it was funny i, I do remember that first race that very first race it's funny cuz i can remember that one pretty clearly um but anything in between that is a little kind of fuzzy it's funny but that first race, I remember the first bike I had. Um, I bought for, I think it was five hundred dollars. I bought out of the local trading post, which you uh, know in America here it's Craigslist. It's the same, same thing. Um, but I bought a secondhand giant road bike, which was way too small for me, and I was so excited because it already had the the clip the clip in pedals. Um, and the person I bought it from gave me a pair of shoes as well, because I didn't have cycling shoes. I'd never use the clipless pedal, sorry, the clipless pedals. So it was, I got the whole package for $500 and I turned up to do this race. I think it was Raby Bay. Um, it was the first of the triathlon series, uh, for the summer. And, I can remember, like, I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know anything, you know, in the transition. I basically just copied what everyone else was doing. And I can remember running out of the transition off the bike to get, sorry, out of the swim to get on the bike. And I just remember putting these big clunky shoes on and running out to get on the bike to mount the bike. And I just, you know, had to be guided through the race from the volunteers and. I just had no idea what I was doing but it was so much I just remember it being so much fun. I did win which was cool. Uh but yeah, it was just such a learning experience because like I didn't I didn't know anything and uh I quickly um joined a group, a, a training group on the Sunshine Coast after that. Uh the coach was Toby Coote who is excellent with um junior junior races, but also just beginner triathletes because he takes you through everything that you need to know in terms of you know bike transitions and just um, open water swimming, just all of the basics that you need to know. you know, I learned from Toby and the group up there on the Sunshine Coast, so that was that was a really good uh, learning point for me in triathlon.
1: right and uh, scott what about uh, your background Uh, can you tell us about about that and uh, in particular your training and racing under brett sutton with team tvb when when that was a big thing
0: yeah so uh, i grew up on a different uh sunny coast (laughs) the sunny coast of new jersey uh and uh, i was actually afraid of the ocean till i was 12 or 13 and at one point it it was um all my buddies were learning how to surf and I needed to, it was time for me to get over my fear of the ocean and finally got over that. And I was an active kid playing everything from basketball to ice hockey, a little bit of golf, baseball, um, touch football with, with my friends in the neighborhood. Uh, so I was one of these kids that just, I was out from the de- time you got home from school until last light. Uh, my older brother was a runner. So that, that was sort of the, the path I was meant to follow, I suppose. I got into high school and I didn't want to run. I wanted to play ice hockey, but the reality was I was five foot four or so, five foot five, not much bigger, smaller than I am right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was pretty clear I wasn't going to make the hockey team and started running. And so uh, fortunately, my brother took me under his wing and he was he was really my first coach. And I had some pretty good success, which led me on to running at the University of Tennessee, and while I was at at UT, I came home for the summers to New Jersey and started lifeguarding. And that's where I met um, Brian Shea, who mentored me into triathlon. He was just in my year. You should maybe think about doing triathlon. And this was in the late nineties. And um, yeah, I went to a development camp in in two thousand and two, I believe that was, uh, with USA Triathlon, and they. They accepted me into their recruitment camp, which has come a long ways since then. Nowadays, it's 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 such an amazing program. Uh, and, and I was part of one of the pioneers of that program. But uh, Rick Rosenkrantz took me under his wing and tried to get me to bridge the gap towards the Olympics. But I, I realized fairly quickly that the ITU circuit just wasn't... Um, I I, did, I didn't have the finances nor I did, I didn't really the swim was an extremely frustrating piece of the puzzle for me. Um and at the time I was in a relationship with my college sweetheart and we we just decided to move back to New Jersey and I was going to I was going to manage my brother's uh, running store, Runners High. And through a series of life events, I ended up um running into Brett Sutton at 28 when I decided to uh, come back to triathlon after after running at a semi American elite uh, level. You know, I was trying to make the Olympic trials and running quite a bit and lowered my 10K PR and half marathon PR. I ran a couple of marathons, but I I wanted to try Ironman, and so um, Brett was at the time starting Team TBB, um, and through a friend who was actually a Filipino American who was. A part of the program in Subic Bay, he knew Brett was looking for an American. Um, He also knew Brett wanted to wanted to attract an athlete that wasn't a triathlete um, and thought it would be a perfect fit. So Arlen McAfee emailed me, and uh, yeah, I got an email from Brett something one day. I barely knew who the guy was. I was so new to the sport. I'd done one half Ironman, and he invited me to Subic Bay, and yeah, I, I was single and. And had the means and got a credit card and bought a flight to Subic Bay. And I arrived in camp and within two days, Brett said, right, I'll, I'll give you three years. Can you, ha- can you dedicate three years of your life? And he explained to me the process and we had a little bit of funding. So Alex Bach and, and Brett had this fantastic program that they were starting. And I'm forever grateful for that opportunity because it, it led me on to a, a whole new life that uh i don't i don't know what i'd be doing um yeah you know i was able to live the dream for a really long time and and i'm still living the dream which yeah led me to carrie carrie came into the group three years later and we started dating and and the rest is history
1: mm-hmm. and uh, when when you come to to suvic bay to to the training camp and uh, brett explains this three-year process what what exactly does that, not exactly, but uh, in broad strokes, what, what does that entail? Is it more about the, the time it will take you to achieve certain results? Or is it actually that uh, you already have sort of laid out in front of you um, a specific, I guess, per- periodization of training that you will be doing, and that will be the process that takes you to your, potential, your, your best potential you? Uh, can you explain uh, that a little bit more?
0: Yeah, there's no roadmap with Brett. (laughs) It's very much a work in progress and a work of art. So he looks at each individual, and um, trust me, plenty came and went in those three years. Um, But he and I got on like two peas in a pod. um, And he basically said it takes most males three years to learn how to train for an Ironman, and then it takes them another three years to learn how to race the ironman and with you we're going to do it we're going to do it in 3 years within 3 years times i'm going to make you an, an earning professional and he was very upfront you know he said look you you know you're a small guy i don't know if we can ever get you to the front pack uh, in hawaii but if we can bridge the gap to 8 minutes to the leaders and and get you in the race you'll you'll run your way into into podiums and start earning start earning money that was the goal to be a working professional and he pretty much did it within three years we had one setback where I broke my collarbone uh I think in 2011 I was entering my third year with him and I i had crashed in Switzerland and I was about to break through and and yeah that that was a big setback but I flew home to New Jersey uh had it fixed by, uh, luckily, a sponsor of mine, uh, Dr. Goldberger, had had been helping me with a little bit of cash to get to camps and follow bread around the world. And he was able to fix me on July 5th, the day after 4th of July. And the state, as you know, is a big, big holiday. Um, and I stayed home in New Jersey for a few days and flew back to Switzerland and got right back into camp. And that kicked off basically my 2012 year, which ended up, being a breakout year and and that's we, uh, funnily enough the year i met, met carrie
1: what, what aspects of training did you found did you find that helped you the most and uh, and now in hindsight looking back did you what what parts of the training program that you did helped helped you bridge that, bridge that gap in any of the disciplines that you want to highlight just to to give some examples
0: it was all mental training for me because I couldn't wrap my head around the duration of the event. Um, you know, I yeah, I had run 220 low for the marathon and an hour five for the half marathon, but wrapping my head around running a marathon after being on your bike for four and a half, five hours was just incredible. So th- throughout the year, wherever, you know, you'd start the year in a heat camp and, and he I remember one session we did was uh, in Thailand. He had me run 50 Ks at a clip and it started at 8 AM. And then you finished, I don't know how many hours later, three, three and a half hours later. And that was a mentally, that was a mental exercise. There was no, there was no science behind that at all. It was just him trying to get me to a point where I was breaking mental barriers down. And then the same would be in the, in the water with, you know, every, every, if someone had a big birthday we did the 100 by 100 um, or the bi- the big bike weeks in Switzerland so you you land in Lausanne and and every single day you had to climb climb the mountain home um, and we we Carrie and I have kept that going we still go back to Lausanne it doesn't look like we're going this year but Lausanne has become sort of a second home to us so the aspect those 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 mental lessons that he gave me have stuck buy um for us uh for the rem- remainder of our careers did that answer your and question
1: yes 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 it does and uh it's i guess it's not surprising uh, given what uh, yeah what i've heard from others about uh, about brett's coaching and uh, books like chrissy wellington's for example is also uh, a lot about the uh, developing the the mental aspect of things which is obviously a crucial component of uh, of performance at the highest level or end level. So, Carrie, um, you have been racing now for a long time professionally, and how has your training changed over the course of of this professional career and and also if you can elaborate on why those changes took place in the cases where you where you actually know why that happened.
2: Um, yeah, I've, the training has changed. Pretty significantly, I think, probably in the last uh, three to four years, I guess, when I think about how we were training, you know, back in maybe sort of 2014, I think, you know, Scott and I, when we started dating in in 2012, we spent probably uh, three years there together where... We were moving around a lot, and in that time as well, there were some pretty significant changes, you know, in our careers as professional athletes where Team TBB broke up. We started training with Siri Lindley, and then we were on our own. We decided to take it on ourselves probably around probably 2015, I think that was. So there was years there. Uh, where we were kind of trying to figure out what was going to work for us, what training worked for us, where we were training um, so I think we've really kind of figured it out now what works for us we uh, if I look back, we focus a lot more now on the swimming. We've brought in uh, Jerry Rodriguez with uh, Tower 26. We've been swimming with Jerry now for two years. Uh, so now, that now going on three, uh, going on three years. Yeah. Uh So I think really when we started training with Jerry for the swim and really starting to put some focus on our swim, I think that's where we really started to uh, kind of work out what was what was really working for us. So. If I can sum it up in any way, I think our training now is just much more structured. We have a real focus on the swim, which is definitely not helping with this pandemic because <laughs> we've really taken a back step there because the swimming was such a focus for us. Um, but we've really put a lot of structure into our swim, uh, also into our riding. We probably, um, we definitely don't go out you know, and and do as many kind of easy, long rides. Um, The riding is a lot more structured now. And and the same thing with the running. You know, we have uh, probably two focused run sessions a week. Um, I guess I wouldn't call the other run sessions junk miles, but everything is is just more structured. Uh, It It has more of a purpose. So... For us, it's far more enjoyable uh, when we're going out and doing those training sessions with that purpose. Um, and so, so it on. used
1: to be just uh, about getting in a large amount of volume before. Was that kind of where you were coming from?
2: Yeah, I think so. There was a lot more of those. Yeah, the yeah more volume. Um, we still had the structure there for you know some of the sessions, definitely for the um, for the running. Um, the riding a little bit there wasn't as much structure for the swim we're a little bit lost in swimming there um, you know and what works for us but yeah I think definitely now with the more more structured more purpose in the sessions it's that's where we've seen the the most changes in the last three years
1: right yeah and what is your typical volume let's let's assume in a normal situation when we might actually have a race coming up in i don't know uh, two months time or or so like your normal sort of bread and butter training week how how much are you training and how does that break up into uh, swimming biking and running
2: i think i think scott's gonna answer this as well for me. But I think um, in a pretty – in a high-volume week, I think we're probably at about 25 – I think we're about a 25-hour kind of training week. Um, and if I can break that up, I think we're, we probably look at probably us we swim, you know, about six hours, ride um, 12 to 15 – and we would run, yeah, about seven, seven hours. Oh. Um, at the moment, though, we have been able to keep much of the run and ride volume going with this pandemic. Uh, it's really only the swim hours that we, you know, that we haven't been able to keep going. So, We're still training around, you know, 20 hours a week and in a, yeah, in a, in a big, in a big week, big training block would be at about 25. Um, So.
1: Yeah. I I should mention here, by the way, for the listeners benefit that we're recording this on the 27th of April and the episode will be out late May or early June. So there is a little bit of a, a delay there where maybe, maybe hopefully you are back swimming actually when when this episode goes out but by the time of this recording uh that's not really the case um scott uh in regard to turning to coaching how, how did that happen what was the process and can you tell us a bit about sort of your coaching philosophy
0: yeah well that was uh that was all brett um brett was brett and alex had had this idea of trying to figure out different avenues for athletes to earn some income because let's face it in 2010 I mean it hasn't gotten any better in the last 10 years the prize money has gone down across the board um, so Brett was starting his coaching business and um, yeah, he he began mentoring me pretty early on and I think we got we got on so well that there was just this mutual respect for one another and he had he'd seen my background with with my working with my brother and then my collegiate coach George Watts who, you know, had, had worked with quite a few Olympians and and then after college Dr. Jack Daniels, um, helped me out as I prepared for a couple of marathons. So Brett knew that I was a student of of endurance training. You know, I had read the Lydiard books and he introduced me to Percy Sardy and um, we would always talk training. So he knew I had a keen interest and. Yeah, I think he had a vision for his coaching business, and so he threw me a big bone, and And I remember him saying, the only way you're going to learn how to coach is if you start coaching, so we, we launched Team T V B Coaching, and then I eventually ended up managing that for him um, into 2011-12, so that's how it began, and uh, yeah, it led me on a different, whole new career path that, that I never would even have imagined.
1: And uh now what does your coaching look like your uh, you have your own coaching business correct
0: Yeah so you know I I am really fortunate and blessed uh, to have been able to work with so many amazing coaches and I've learned something from each one of them that has has that have really influenced how we, we go about things and it's all a Brett it the, the Brett Lydiard foundation is there. Um, as Carrie mentioned. We don't I think at some uh, we got a little bit stale there in in the when we went off on our own with an obsession with volume, volume, volume. And um I certainly experimented on my own and made a made a lot of mistakes. Um but having Jerry at Tower Twenty Six coming into our lives has been massive with the swim and um, Matt Bottrell has helped me quite a bit with my cycling and paying attention to the aerodynamics. And our short time with Siri was really interesting because Siri, Siri brought into the picture this um, acceptance with rest. And that was something I think we struggled with where we didn't really know or maybe we didn't have the confidence to to rest we we would just train and train and train and and go into a race and then get back into it and Siri really put that to bed and said it's okay to have downtime within a season it's okay to have rest days not that Brett wouldn't have rest days but when you have Brett looking over your shoulder every morning you know he he's he knows when it's time to send you home and, and go to bed and when you're when you're trying to do it by yourselves and and couple, a couple training together, uh, we, we missed some of those those opportunities and just kept plowing through. So I think now, yeah, it's a bit more, we definitely focus on swimming a lot more in terms of with Brett, it, it's a, a big paddles pull. And, and that's a very important aspect of triathlon training. And I understand why he does it, but I think if I look back at Carrie's development, when we started swimming massive amounts uh, and not necessarily pulling a lot of the main sets, her run started to inch up and inch up and inch up. And and that's not a fault of Brett's. Brett take, takes an athlete and he has him in a group. And if you're in the 125 lane and you can't swim it, you're going to pull it. And he also would protect the legs. And we took a gamble by going with Jerry because there's a lot of intensity in his swim program. So it's paid off in a big, big way. Now, if you look at a man versus a woman, is there a little bit too much intensity in the swim there? At times, yeah, and, and that's where I've got to use my head uh, and, and go, right, you should be pulling this set, take your legs out. Um, onto the bike, it's, yeah, Matt's influence has been a lot of a lot more um, purpose, training with a purpose. We still do a lot of the long rides. I think for for me, I respond a lot better to over distance rides uh, of six hours plus or big bike weeks. Whereas Carrie, she responds much better to a lot more intensity. Um, she doesn't need rides over over four and a half five hours. She has this natural strength. She's a fat burner by nature, so she doesn't she doesn't need big big volume. Um, so Matt's influence has, has really been instrumental, uh, as well. But then in the running, it's, yeah, it's what I learned from Brett. We do a lot of the big sessions. Brett has copied what the African runners have been doing. And, and so I've kept that, uh, pretty close to, to how we trained with him. We, you know, we do, we do the big sets. We don't do massive sets like 38s anymore. We will maybe do 25 at the most, but I'll do 20 by one, one K or, or 12 by one mile. Um, the marathon. What, 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 what,
1: what sort of pace would that be? Are you talking about the marathon pace uh, when you're talking about yeah, that the, sort of. So the, fartleks,
0: the fartlek runs for me would be uh, if we're doing 800 on, 800 off, it, it would still be 240. 200 off. Or sorry, 800 on, 200 off would be 238 to 240. uh is now, yeah, she started, when she started doing those sets, she was probably running 320s.
2: I think I had Brett. Brett was yelling at me.
0: <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> she can now, you know, Kaz, Kaz can now take away sub three minutes um, when she's really, really fit. Right before this pandemic started, uh, we, we started, we don't start those sort of sets until late winter. And um, gosh, the first one she did, she looked just as good as she had before Hawaii. And I thought, man, this she had an incredible year last year. Maybe she's got one more big one in her. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, th- those are the big sets we do. And then we do, we've do. we started doing a lot of build runs, which we've pulled from the Kipchoge influence, I'll call it, where we do when we're in Switzerland, we've got a path there that runs along the Rhone River. So the death mi- path. <laughs> yeah, 10 miles out, 10 miles back, and it's 10 miles easy. And then uh, 10 miles back at starting at your marathon, goal pace and then finishing a bit harder towards the end
1: right yeah Uh, and a couple of things i want to follow up on there that you mentioned with the swim program and the intensity you mentioned that potentially a bit too much intensity for males although it might be appropriate for females and that's something that i've actually uh, i've met with brett and uh, attended a seminar that he held and that's uh, something that he talked about then but I want to hear you uh, and your, uh, your thoughts on what exactly is the reason for this that, uh, that females may be able to tolerate more intensity than, than male athletes.
0: Well, I think it's twofold. Uh, well, the testosterone levels in men are higher, so we can put ourselves into a hole. We can go a bit harder. So women have a natural buffer there that blocks them from killing themselves. But also the buoyancy issue so if you look at a male and a female, a woman's carrying a little bit more body fat naturally, so they're going to float a bit more. They're going to be a little bit more efficient in the water, so you can, you can hammer them a little bit more. Whereas with a guy, especially a non-swimmer like myself, um, you're not as efficient. So overreaching is, uh, is a real possibility, and, and I think too much of it is not necessarily a good thing. In terms of Jerry's program... You know, Jerry was an open water swimmer and so he's training. His program is, is all, is, is very much preparing for open water racing. Um, so those elements are fantastic and they really get you comfortable in the open water. But when you're balancing that with the triathlon program, biking and running, uh, you just have to be a little bit careful because he's obviously not, he's prescribing this, the swimming, the two main swims a week. And we're doing a few more, but those swims are more active recovery or strength-oriented, more of a Brett Sutton type of a set where it's steady Eddie, as he would say.
1: Yeah, and that was the other follow-up question I wanted to get into, the focus on, uh, on swimming with, uh, with, with pull paddles. What exactly is it that uh, you want to achieve with uh, doing, especially when in Brett's programs that's uh, such a, a large part of the swim program from what I've understood?
0: So we've taken away the paddles, and that's just because, that, yeah, I mean it's it's uh, Jerry's Jerry's influence. I'm always tinkering because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm a coach, and you know I've got a I've got a chest of uh, of gear that I love <laughs> to play with. And paddles do different things for different athletes, right? One paddle might work really well for someone, while another paddle may cause some deficiencies. Um, so I've taken the high road. We've eliminated the paddles and yeah especially for Carrie when we took the paddles off she developed a feel for the water that wasn't really there and um it's been instrumental and i you know i understand Brett's philosophy and it's like p- pushing the big gears on the bike you put the paddles on and you get strong whereas now what we've implemented stretch cords um and swimming
2: and ee buoy i use an ee buoy and we, yeah, we
0: use the ee buoy that that uh some of, some of Brett's athletes use as well um, so especially coaching age group athletes that are, f- are from afar I tell them look I think you're better off just not using a not using a, a, a paddle because I can't see what it's doing to you so if obviously if there's someone in person like we have a few athletes here that we coach in town and and we'll mess with paddles for a few and and we've had great success but usually it's for technique and not strength.
1: So when you say that you can't see what it's doing for you, do you mean literally that that's the problem that you can't actually see them in person and how they're using them in, rather than in the general sense that they generally would not work for the athlete?
0: Exactly. So if if someone's using a stroke maker paddle, but it's it's causing them to scoop their hand out wide, we're, we're, we're um, creating some negative uh, muscle memory issues there. Whereas, if it's just you're using your hand, you're naturally kind of getting a feel for the water. And Brett would change his philosophy. You know, he was, it was always a, a work in progress. You know, every year, every camp, there was something new. And towards the end of our time with him, he moved towards the, the pull buoy and then the, the old uh, a wheelbarrow tube. So you'd have a tube that kept you afloat and a big pull buoy and no paddles. And and he was doing he was using that approach because it was really working for Nicola Spierig. So keeping her legs tied but putting the, the inner tube between her legs for that strength without the paddles. So he was sort of he was coming to that conclusion on his own as well. Um And since then, I think he's come up with, with, uh, kind of went to the chopping board there. Yeah. Yeah. He he started using a chopping board paddle, which I've never tried, but I'm sure it it works for quite a few people. I mean, the guy's a coaching genius. He knows what he's doing. And like I said, he's there watching over you so he can see if it's not working. Trust me. Brett threw plenty of paddles at me (laughs) (laughs) over the years and we tried, we tried everything. Um, and in the end, yeah, in the end, it, it was. For, for me, it was just use the pool buoy and chuck, he chucked the paddles and stuck me in the 120 lane and just said, Try and keep up, go hammer the water.
1: All right. Yeah. So it's a very simple approach in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, so carrie uh, get, getting back to you and we discussed a bit around uh, the volume aspect but let's uh, go a bit deeper and just uh, again imagining that it's, these are would be normal times where you would be swimming can you just walk us through uh, what a typical training week might might look like what what are the actual sessions that you have have in there although you already mentioned some of them but just perhaps as, to give an example walking us through monday through sunday
2: yeah, um, Monday morning we we would usually be up swimming, um, and we usually do a pretty big swim uh, Monday morning. It always used to be um, kind of more of a strength swim, but we kind of mix it up now. Um, we might have a little bit more intensity in there, um, but it usually we usually start the week with a pretty big swim and. Uh, a shorter bike or, or run in the evening. Um, Tuesday, again, we, we swim. Let me just, let me go back there for a second. Um, we usually swim, our big swims, probably three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and then a Thursday and a Sunday will be more recovery swims. So we right. have three big swims in there, um, and and two uh, recovery swims, which is still around um, probably four to four and a half. Uh, no, about four four thousand yards. Um, oh, listen to me, I'm talking yards. In, in, in uh, total, <laughs> you might be at
1: close to thirty thousand yards or something.
2: Yep yeah about that the yeah the big swims are usually uh five around around 5000 um mm. and then um yeah so monday tuesday will be uh some short shorter afternoon sessions either a bike or a run wednesday is um is a pretty decent ride we are lucky enough here to be relatively close to the mountains so we'll go out and ride we call it our palomar shuffle ride where how much climbing is in there
0: i think you can do 8,000 feet in a four-hour ride we have
2: yeah we have we have quite a bit of climbing in that ride that's usually a strength ride but we have intervals throughout that ride Um, So it's probably about a four to four-and-a-half-hour ride on a Wednesday uh, with a run off the bike. Um, Thursday is usually a a quality run with a recovery swim. Friday, hard swim, Uh, another structured bike ride in the afternoon. And Saturday, uh, the weekend, we still do – you know, a lot of our um, volume ride and run sessions there. Uh, long ride Saturday with a runoff, Sunday is a is a long is a long run of either a long steady run or it will be one of those structured runs that we that Scotty was speaking about before you know, it's a track run or long um, long fartlek style run. Um with a swim in the afternoon so that's that's generally the week um and that's on repeat in in the in the big training blocks
1: yeah so that's something that's something that you generally just go through week in week out uh and you don't really do anything in terms of uh, you know recovery weeks or that sort of thing it's something that's meant to be sustainable uh, throughout a longer build to your race
2: right yeah we don't I mean there's those sessions we have sessions in there that are recovery sessions. You know, those swim yeah. those shorter swim, easy swim sessions, they're they're recovery sessions. Um some of our uh runs or
0: Yeah, well I, can't
2: I mean the two hour runs are recovery. Yeah, the two hour <laughs> run is, you know, I go out I don't I don't go out and run to pace ever on those runs, for example, you know. If I go out and run, it's just I will run as slow as I want to run to feel like it's a recovery run. I don't want it to take anything out of me at the end of that run um, or ride or whatever I'm doing. So um, I out, I'm happy to do it on my own. I'd Sometimes I'd, ra- I'd rather do it on my own because I, I want to go at my own pace and, you know, I don't want to feel like I have to keep up with anyone, which I don't normally anyway. Um so yeah to, to give
1: some examples so there what what would your pace and power be when you really want to go when you want to go that easy even if you don't I know you don't run or ride too power, but if you measure those, what do they end up being typically
2: on on an easy easy
1: pace yeah, easy pace
2: uh running uh, no faster than eight minute miles so five five kilometer pace I mean that's yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm re- only if I'm you know starting to feel good you know at the end of end of those longer runs sometimes you kind of I almost you feel like the pipe's clear <laughs> and you mm. feel like you you want to go a little bit harder but even then you know I just I just don't um but uh yeah I'd be lucky to run under eight minute miles for for those for those sessions running and riding I I, I can't tell you I don't look at power or anything i just you know go and
1: ride right okay do you even measure power
2: yes i have power yep
1: okay um and the only uh,
2: time i look at the power is if i have a designated interval
1: right and that was what i was going to ask about next so when you have those structured rides so you mentioned the one on wednesday the longer one and then on friday you said or was it saturday uh, either way, um, How do you typically do the the bike portion of the program? What I mean to ask here is how much are you shifting sort of the program towards more of the high-intensity, shorter, harder intervals versus longer tempo, race phase, uh, or even threshold type of intervals?
2: Uh, We usually have both of those in a week. Um, And the the Palomar Shuffle Ride is our uh, more... Strength, endurance, kind of intervals where they'll be throughout that ride. We might do, for example, um, three by 30 minutes, or um, some 20 minute. Uh, it, those those intervals will be longer. There could be an hour. Like, for example, the oh. ride we we might do a 30 minute interval, and then we'll there is a climb. Um, there, which is actually Palomar Mountain, it's a good hour. So we've done that. Has been an interval before, like that climb that will be, you know, at Ironman effort, for example, um, or it'll be build build throughout the hour to, you know, just under Ironman, Ironman effort, 70.3. There will be structure throughout that ride, and it's always more for based around kind of strength, endurance, Ironman effort maybe to 70.3 effort, um, but though, and then those shorter um, threshold um, or above threshold efforts, uh, they're done typically in our shorter um, trainer rides on a, on a Friday or a, a, I don't know, but they're always the shorter um, rides that we do those inside
1: right yeah okay that makes sense uh and scott perhaps you can uh also f- uh fill in on this same sort of question what is what what are your thoughts on kind of the different kinds of intensities in general in training and their use and applicability in training for long distance triathlon
0: yeah well there's like i said is there's still the the sudden uh, influence with the, a lot of the big gear work um Doing, doing shorter stuff like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, that's been interesting to observe, giving some of that to Carrie because I think it's been a massive benefit for her. Um, Matt is big into the sweet spot work, so um, yeah, a lot of that is done an hour and a half at the most, uh, but we still do quite a bit of um, time trial work. We're not doing any of that at the moment because there's there's really no point where a lot of the longer rides are, are more feel good. But something that Carrie didn't mention was our longer intervals. We go down to Fiesta Island where uh, the birthplace of triathlon. So it's about an hour, 15 minute ride for us to get there. And um, uh, yeah, that's where we'll, we'll do. Our bigger sessions of 20 minutes, 30 minutes up to an hour uh, where it's a six kilometer circuit and you're going around and around and around. Um, and also we've, we've started to, we're actually currently, uh, learning the process of testing the VLA max. Uh, so we're working with the inside guys. So we're getting a little bit more scientific. I think you have to, uh, because so many athletes are interested in it. So, um, that's been interesting to learn a bit about how our bodies are different.
1: Our physiology. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you've worked with the new protocol yet, but I just went through that new updated protocol last week by the time of this recording so uh, that was a fun fun experience to to get to update my profile but in a new way with uh, perhaps slightly easier way i I would say with the updated critical power protocol and uh, definitely a good tool to have in the toolbox um the the other thing that I wanted to ask there is uh, is about the uh, the running uh I think Brett has uh, stated pretty strongly that there's never really any like super hard like you know lung busting 400s or I don't I might be getting that wrong actually so you will need to correct me and tell me what he actually is saying but but sort of like slightly putting the brakes on to prevent injuries is sort of the gist I've been getting from what I've read and heard him say can you talk about that and does that apply to you as well
0: Well the beauty of triathlon is the swim Aspect and and we're seeing that now. There are so many benefits of swimming, and um, yeah, you can you can get that long busting, that VO2 work in the pool, and I think that's Brett. That's what Brett does. Uh, so we've we've kept that uh, as a part of our program. He doesn't ignore the speed, and neither do we. Um, there's still, when I was in 2012, when I was really peaking with him, I was training with Nicholas Spierig. You know, I was Nicholas. Um, rabbit. Rabbit, <laughs> rabbit, whipping boy. We complemented <laughs> each other really, really well. Um, but whenever we went flat out speed, it was never out of control, right? There was always an element of a feeling of control. But we were still ticking away 400s at 60 62 seconds a lap but it was within it was it was controlled right it wasn't it wasn't finishing that 400 and on the fence ready to to throw up right you you went right into your recovery jog so anytime we did that there was plenty of recovery in between those intervals so we still we still do a bit of that I'm 40 now so I don't quite have that 62 second speed anymore but we do do some fast running actually this week we're going to go to the track and do a little bit of fast running. Um, does, does that make sense? So the swim yeah, portion yeah. takes care of that top end, and and if yeah. I observe as a fan of running, right, and you look at someone like Alan Webb, Alan Webb, I believe, was so good so early in his career because he swam, and when he went full time running, he sort of plateaued, and I and I sat and watched him because I was getting and I always thought. If someone would get a hold of him and get him back in the water, I think his career would have lasted another five or six years. And if you watch Gwen Jorgensen at the moment, if I were training Gwen or if Brett were training Gwen, I guarantee you she'd be swimming 20K a week to complement her running.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective. And actually, it would be interesting to, to have Gwen... When she was winning gold medals in triathlon uh com- like do these try to do the same running races she's doing now and see if she might not actually even be better i'm not sure i'm not following her too closely so i shouldn't maybe make any speculations like that but uh but i think that there's definitely some uh, an interesting aspect at least to to that thought and the cross-training effect crossover effect. Um, the, the next thing I wanted to ask you, Scott, is about coaching age group athletes and your philosophy for age groupers. Uh, is that very similar to what you described? And what are, if there are any potential differences in sort of your coaching philosophy when it comes to age groupers compared to professionals?
0: Well, there are big ethos with chaos K- coaching stands for keep it simple coaching. And um, yeah, that's, that's definitely Brett influence right there, right? He keeps it simple. So we try and keep it as simple as possible. But our big method, message to the athletes and our ethos is to live a balanced life. So you do triathlon to enhance your life. If it consumes you, you're you're going down the wrong path there. And uh, and to be honest with you, I, I won't I won't work with an athlete that that wants to be all consuming with the sport. I think there's way too way more to life. Um, the sport is an incredible way of life and it can take you to so many amazing places and bring some amazing people into your life. Um, so we try and lead by example and, and, um, our whole lives aren't on, on social media, but we do, we do share some of the, some of the balance. Our Sunday fun days at our house when we're, we're at home in California, we have friends over nearly every weekend. Um, And maybe that's the Italian in me. (laughs) The neighbors and and friends are like family. Uh, But in terms of the training, yeah, we give athletes a lot of the same work that we do um, because, frankly, they they like to to know that they're doing the same stuff. But we scale it. We scale it back. They're not doing quite as many reps. For example, yesterday, we did a two-minute fartlek session, and a lot of my athletes did the same thing. Um, scattered throughout the world. Some did it on Saturday. Some did it on Sunday. Uh, but the number of reps was, was less for them. Um, obviously we're riding multiple, we're doing multiple long rides a week, whereas the age group athlete can't necessarily do that. So most of their long rides are done, you know, on the weekends. Same with the running. Uh, I do swim them. I do swim them all five days a week. Or I like to swim them five days a week. And, and and they're all coming back to me now saying, my gosh, riding and running is a lot harder when you're not swimming. So they're all seeing the light, uh, the, the aerobic benefit, and also the recovery benefit of being in the water. I, I like to tell people that swimming is, is the fountain of youth. And it's like seeing your chiropractor, your physical therapist, and your massage therapist all in one um so er- everyone's missing that uh so does that answer your question
1: yeah and that's a good pointer for for any coach listening for how to sell swimming to athletes that might not <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, be that into the idea so i, I like that um, i might uh, might use it myself <laughs> um uh, all right uh, a couple more questions uh first of all uh carrie going back to you what would you recommend and we let's keep this discussion for uh age group athletes uh, mostly What would you recommend that they do in the current uh, state of pandemic and potentially pools being closed depending on how things develop in the next month or so uh, from when we record this episode in terms of their training? And how do you recommend that they approach triathlon in general? Uh,
2: Well, I think the first thing, uh, and and this has been difficult for us as well, I think for the swim at the moment, you just have – Everyone has to accept that it is what it is, okay? Like the pools are closed. No, not everyone has access to open water swimming. We just can't swim, okay? And we may not, we don't know when we're going to be able to swim again. You have to let the obsession of not being able to swim go. And we can try our best to maintain some of the aer- of the aerobic fitness that we get from swimming. And we're doing that, you know, we're riding and we're running. We're keeping that going, you know, as much as we can. It is, I have definitely noticed, so we're going into six weeks now of uh, no swimming. And I can honestly say probably over the last two weeks, I've started to notice that in my breathing, just when I'm out running, there's nothing I can do about that. Uh, so it's just a point that you just have to accept that that's that's the impact that swimming is going to have. We can, you know, we've been doing, we do stretch cords. We've done them for years. We've continued doing them. The good thing about not swimming and now doing the swim cords is that I've been able to do more of the swim chords and increase the number that I do more quickly usually when I have that swim load there as well I'm sort of tapped out you know pretty quickly I'm tired so I haven't been able I don't normally I'm not able to do as many of those so I'm just really focusing on trying to maintain that strength a little bit and that feel uh, of the swim stroke uh, and combine that with you know, the aerobic fitness from the biking and the running. So that's really all you can do is whatever exercises you can do on dry land to kind of maintain that swim feel while, you know, you keep the aerobic fitness going in other ways. Um, So that's all we can do and we just have to accept that. The other thing that is, I guess, a positive is there aren't races you know, scheduled for some time. So the ability to be able to get back in the pool and get some of that swim fitness back before races start, hopefully we'll be able to do that. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a calming thought, I think, um, just to know that we will have that time. It's, it's not all lost. We will be able to get that swim fitness back. Um, to a certain degree. Uh, does that answer your question? I, there.
1: It it does. Yeah. Just one quick follow up. How much time you spend on the stretch cords in a given session, and how many times per week do you do that?
2: So we do them. Well, I I try and do them in when we're swimming and when we have a full swim load, uh, three to four times a week, and I. I try to do them before my swim session sometimes I find that uh it's better for me to do them afterwards it just it it just depends what, how much time I have before the session how I'm feeling sometimes I actually do get a little bit tired from doing them so if I do them beforehand and then get into the water I don't like how I feel swimming it's just it's a personal thing if you like doing them before or after it doesn't matter and Jerry Rodriguez has also confirmed that for me. It's it's a personal thing. There's no right or wrong in when you do the swim courts. Um, but I try and stick to them four days a week, three to four days a week, and I, I do basically as many as I can uh, until I start to fatigue. I do three sets, three to four sets, and I do uh, – as many repetitions as I can in the set to the point where I'm starting to get tired, fatigued, and I lose form. So sometimes it might be I can only get out 30 repetitions where I'm starting to get tired, you know, and I feel like I'm losing my form. Uh, so I'll stop, have a have rest for as long as I need to. It might be a minute, could be two minutes, five minutes sometimes. It just depends how tired I am. And then I'll do another set. So like I said, there's no, there's no right or wrong with the swim cords. It's all, it's all personal. Um, but the most important thing is that consistency is key with them and you can do these all year. And I think it's important to do them all year. Um, certainly there's times when you're in an off season when you probably don't need to be doing them, but yeah, it's a, it's an exercise that, yeah you can do for most of the year and yeah it's for me it's I found the best way to kind of maintain that strength um yeah all year round and it supplements the swim perfectly
1: and when you're doing those repetitions it's just uh, the regular swimming motion with the swim cords you don't have like a a routine that you with different exercises you cycle through, it's just the, the swimming motion essentially.
2: Yeah, it's just the swimming motion. I actually just wrote um, an article for Blue70, um, which is on their um, Instagram page, and I've actually demonstrated how I do the stretch chords and the routine of it. Um, but it's very direct, um, like I said, three to four sets. Um, I like to, in the exercise, I said I like to do it like a a double arm um like a butterfly double arm swim um yeah it's, a, it's 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 quick very direct
1: right and uh carrie we can continue with you for this final question and then scott can also answer this one uh when it comes to actually executing in uh, both training and races can you each give uh one point that you consider important for like good execution of training and good execution of a race that the listeners of this podcast might find helpful?
2: I think the most important thing firstly is confidence. You need to be confident in yourself and uh, your ability, what you're about to do, Uh, but you need to be very focused. You need to have a clear, clear goals within the session um, or the race and just Know that you're prepared and confident in your ability to be able to execute that, um, and just always just focus on what you're what you're wanting to achieve in that session or that race. Just always come back to yourself and and just be confident in your yourself and your ability to be able to
0: execute that.
1: And Scott, same question to you and uh, feel free to take both executional training and racing.
0: Yeah, I think to Carrie's point there, the, the training is to build confidence and the more fit you get, the more confident you get. And that, that was, that was Brett's experiment with me. He, he ran me to the ground. I rem- when I, my breakout race was in 2012, Switzerland, Ironman, Switzerland, 10 days in the 10 days leading in. I ran 38s, 240s, uh, a marathon, finishing up the mountain to Leson, and 15 one-milers, 520 with a 200 float. And my bike legs were, were useless <laughs> in the race, but I was so confident in the run that I got off, and the only goal was... To run under 245 and that was it and it was a make or break moment and i was so confident i could do it and i ended up running 243 and and that changed the trajectory of my career so to quote siri lindley she, she would say the racing is a celebration of all the training and i think that sums it up
1: all Right, perfect and uh, then finally the rapid fire questions uh, and we can do Carrie and then Scott for each of these. And the first question is what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon? Uh,
2: I have two, probably two books um, that I like, uh, that I've kept with me as my Bibles, I think, for the for the last few years. Um one of them is actually not related to triathlon, but I think it's a very good book for the mindset, and that is Relentless by Tim Grover. I have highlighted things everywhere in that book. That's my number one resource. And I also like a my I'm very passionate about the nutrition side of the sport, so I have the um, I think it's Food for Sports Performance. I'm not exactly sure of the title, but it's by two Australian authors actually. Uh Louise Burke and Greg Cox, two very good uh sports nutritionists out of Australia.
1: Yeah. L- Louise Burke will have been on the podcast just a couple of episodes before this one goes live, I believe.
2: Excellent. Excellent book. That's a great for nutrition.
0: Wh- what about you? Well, to be honest with you, I've really enjoyed your podcast this year. Um, you bring some, some of the best minds of the sport in. So I'm, I'm a hundred percent sincere in that. Uh, so I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts, but, uh, Jack Daniels, um, book of running is, is one that, that I, I, I use quite a bit. And, uh, I'm a frequent visitor to let's run.com cause they publish a lot of great
1: articles by athletes and coaches. And Carrie, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment?
2: Oh, my swim fins, for sure.
1: <laughs> Which fins <laughs> I are didn't, you using? I've
2: been with fins a lot before we started swimming with uh Jerry, but I yeah, they're definitely my favorite piece of equipment. And my swim snorkel. I have two.
1: And and Scott. Yeah, Carrie stole mine the snorkel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the swim snorkel is is the one of the best pieces of equipment um especially for a non-swimmer an an adult onset swimmer
1: and finally carrie what do you wish had known or done differently at some point in your career
2: i was thinking about this and i am i don't i don't think i would change anything to be honest um there's times i think Back on, and I think, oh, you know, I wish we hadn't have gone there, or um, I wish we hadn't spent so much time there, or something. But all everything that we've done um, throughout our career has, we've learned so much from, you know, from the training that we've done, places we've been. I I can't I can't really say that I would have done anything differently. Maybe I just would have started earlier.
0: That's about all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Scott, what about you?
0: Well, I mean, I wish I would have learned to swim a little bit earlier, but in terms of once I found the sport and I was all in I uh, some of my development athletes, I'll say to them, if if 38 year old me could sell could tell 28 year old me anything it would have been to you had to follow Jerry Rodriguez. But at 28, when I found Brett Sutton, I needed to find him because he just opened my mind to so many things, how to train. Um, so I, Jerry came into my life at the right time, um, and I, I don't think I'd go back and change that. However, I do tell younger
1: younger athletes that are trying to learn how to swim,
0: go and follow Jerry. <laughs>
1: Excellent. And finally, where can people follow you and uh, keep uh, up to date with what you got going on?
0: Well, we, we both have our own Instagram pages um, Scotty D e and Carrie Lester, Kaz Lester.
2: Carrie E. Lester.
0: Carrie E. Lester. <laughs> and Carrie, Carrie handles the Instagram for KISS Coaching. So uh, that's her responsibility.
1: And uh, yeah, and we can put the link to KISS Coaching in the show notes as well.
2: That yep. would be great, yeah, I think we're we're both more active on uh on instagram we're not we're not very active on uh, any of the social media fronts we try to be and we try to share as much as we can with people about our training and our lives but um like we've said before, it's never really taken a it's not a focus <laughs> for us um, but we're more than happy to share anything with anyone so yeah follow our pages and feel free to ask us any questions where we're more than happy to to share anything
1: brilliant and thank you for sharing uh, so much during uh, this episode it's been really great chatting with you and uh well let's hope that we can have some racing in the not too distant future and uh good luck to both of you for for that and uh keep having fun with with the training in the meantime and uh, let's hope that at, at the very least swimming will be a possibility very soon
2: mm, we hope so <laughs> thank yeah. you thank
0: you
1: as usual you can find the show notes for this episode on scientific and uh, links to uh, some related episodes including two interviews that i done with jerry rodriguez and the one interview I did with Carson Christen, who talked about uh, a bit more about the uh, the Brett Sutton or the Trisado uh, philosophy of training, uh, Brett Sutton being the founder of uh, the Trisado coaching company. Uh, As always, I'm keen to hear uh, your feedback on any episode, but in particular, uh, I do like to hear feedback on this kind of episode with two guests on the line where one is uh, the athlete and one is the coach uh, because I think it's something that could potentially be uh, a really good regular occurrence. So keen to know what you think, uh, good and bad. Next Monday, I have an interview on the line with uh, researcher Izzy Moore uh, from Wales or from England in Wales. Uh, we will discuss running mechanics, running economy, footwear, and injuries. It's a great interview packed with information uh, stemmed in science. So I think that uh, there will be a, a real hit that uh, many listeners will enjoy. But of course, in the meantime, we have another Q&A coming out on Thursday. Uh, if you are interested in coaching services, then definitely go and check out scientifictriathlon.com and the coaching services we offer We currently have a fair number of slots available uh, and uh, that will probably change as uh, more and more people are starting to uh, get back into normal racing and training again after the whole COVID-19 situation. It's still ongoing, of course, but uh, the situation seems to be normalizing now. But now is a good time, if you're interested in coaching, to to check that out. Because as I said, there are slots available. So uh, scientifictriathlon.com and click through to coaching or send me an email directly and we can uh, discuss uh, discuss about that. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy and get 15% off your electrolyte order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, suits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you'll find on roka.com forward slash TTS